This is Tekken Lore-Fi, the Tekken lore and lo-fi mashup you never knew you needed. And this is part two of the Jinpachi series, Jinpachi's story. For the story portion of our series, we take existing pieces of Tekken lore and fill in the gaps with some fan fiction. Today, we are answering the question, what happened to Jinpachi that would make him change from an arms dealer to a pacifist? Let's get right into it. Part 1. The Zaibatsu Boss is Born Tokyo, 1925 Yasuko, where did you go? A young boy yelled from the middle of the dusty Shitamachi Road. Jinpachi, I'm over here. Yasuko burst into laughter. Jinpachi Mishima ran over to a nearby corner store, peering through the windows and door. Just then, Yasuko came from behind and covered Jinpachi's eyes. Ow! yelled Jinpachi. Don't be a baby, Yasuko sneered. That really hurt. As Jinpachi turned around, Yasuko's smile turned into a look of concern. What happened to you? she asked. Jinpachi's eye was swollen and blood had dried just below his bottom lip. It's... it's nothing. Jinpachi attempted to shut down the conversation to no avail. He did it again, didn't he? Yasuko's eyes blazed with fire. Jinpachi, the older of the two, always passed Yasuko's fierce passion off as a sign of juvenile immaturity. But on a deeper level, there was admiration for her sense of right and wrong. Jinpachi was the son of a drunk gambler. The only person in the neighborhood with a more imposing presence than Jinpachi was his father. But compared to the elder Mishima, Jinpachi could be considered a gentle giant. Due to the vices of his father, Jinpachi had experienced firsthand the physical and metaphorical descent from the luxurious Yamanote Hills to the chaotic bustle of Shitamachi. If not for Yasuko, the pain of losing the comfort of his youth would have been unbearable. But the beatings from his father made sure that the pain would never totally subside. Yasuko never cared about material things. To her, she was as free as she could ever hope to be. She could sing and dance in the streets, and no one would notice or care. Maybe if she hit a bad note, someone would wince. But for the most part, there was no cloud in the sky so dark that could hide the radiance of her spirit. Jinpachi wanted to feel free, but he wore the disdain of his father's poor choices on his sleeve. He wanted to get out of there, but just didn't know how. That didn't stop his dreams from being big. If anything, the lack of a clear path meant there was nothing to anchor his dreams. He turned back to Yasuko. One day, I'm going to build a huge castle on a hill even higher than those in Yamanote. You and I can play there as long as we want and never have to worry about what we'll eat or where we'll sleep, and we'll never have to see my father ever again. Okay, Jinpachi, Yasuko chuckled. I'm serious, Jinpachi's face reddened. Even if Yasuko didn't believe him now, one day she would see. Part 2. The Road Less Traveled. Tokyo, 1940. Jinpachi, Jinpachi! Yasuko came running down the dock at the port of Tokyo. It's nice to see you again. Jinpachi said coolly, trying to downplay his excitement at seeing her for the first time in almost 10 years. I got your letter. It was so great to hear from you. Yasuko smiled brightly as she spoke. 
I thought you'd forgotten about me while you were off in China. I almost didn't recognize you with that beard, but I couldn't mistake your giant figure if I tried. And I couldn't mistake your annoying laugh even if I tried, Jinpachi teased. Besides, there's not a friend I'd rather see than you. Let's go get some sushi. I have so much to tell you. Jinpachi wanted to tell her all about his endeavors in China, but knew she wouldn't approve. After all, Yasuko's moral compass was unwavering. They walked into a small sushi shop with just a few stools at an empty bar. The chef bowed as they sat down. Even before Jinpachi got settled in his seat, he blurted out, I bought an estate in Mount Orake. I finally did it. His pride burst through his chest. You did what? Yasuko shrieked. I finally did it. I bought a place higher than the hills in Yamanote. We don't have to struggle down here any longer. The chef placed delicately made nigiri in front of them. What do you mean, we? Yasuko inquired as she ate her sushi. I promised you when we were kids I'd make sure we could leave this place together. I've never stopped working to make that happen. Everything that I've built in China is making that a reality. What? You're a rich guy now? The sarcastic tone was not lost on Jinpachi. As a matter of fact, I am, he retorted. I have my own company now, and I'm the boss. We specialize in imports and exports. And now that business is settled, I'll be able to manage the company from Tokyo. No need to travel abroad anymore. This is all so sudden. I have my own dreams, you know. My life didn't stop while you were away, Yasuko replied defiantly. You can do whatever you want, Yasuko. You don't need to struggle for anything. I know I've been gone a while, but I never stopped thinking about you. Besides, what could be so important that could keep you from saying yes? Jinpachi was so confident she'd say yes, he was not at all prepared for her response. You may want to see Tokyo from higher places, but I want to see new cities, new countries. I see all these boats come in day after day with different languages written on the side of them. As she spoke, her smile got wider. It's so wonderful just to imagine all the places they've been to. My world feels so small when I think about it. My soul keeps telling me that there's more out there for me. Go ahead and explore. But when you're done, come back to Tokyo and stay with me. I have a lot of work to do anyway. I'll even pay for your trip. After you get this feeling out of your head, you can live at Mount Odake with me. It's not that simple, Jinpachi. I just enrolled into a language program. They opened Hiroshima Gaikoku Gokako. I can learn English there. Lots of people are doing it and then going abroad to work. If I can just do it for a few years, then I can enroll to get a teaching degree after that at the university. Jinpachi couldn't believe what he was hearing. You want to work? That's silly. I'm offering you a chance to go abroad and never work a day in your life. Yeah. And how exactly are you doing that? You have no formal education. You think I'm stupid? I see the boats coming from China. I see more and more people walking around these streets like ghosts. Whatever you're involved in, it's not good. Yasuko turned away from Jinpachi, unable to look him in the eyes. You don't know what you're talking about. I may not have a formal education, but that doesn't mean I can't be successful. And what makes you think I'm involved in all that? Jinpachi tried his best to lie, but he knew she was too smart for that. It's okay, Jinpachi. Do whatever you want, but I'm going to Hiroshima to pursue my dreams. 
I'm glad yours came true, but those dreams, they aren't mine. Yasuko stood up, bowed to Jinpachi, and left. Jinpachi watched her as she walked away, clenching his jaws together to stop from yelling after her. Part 3. The Meeting at Ninoshima. Ninoshima, 1945. The boat docked at the port of Ninoshima. Jinpachi shielded his face from the sun as he stepped onto a wooden platform. The beams dipped into the water under the weight of his large muscular body. Today was an unusually clear day. In Jinpachi's experience, this sort of unusual change in weather always marked a sign of warning. But to the less versed, it was likely an auspicious sign. He made his way to a fortified area, escorted by several soldiers. Not much was said, but their pace quickened as they edged closer to the inner courtyard. Jinpachi had business to attend to, even as the end of the war seemed like a foregone conclusion. As he approached a table in the middle of the courtyard, General Anami Korechika rose to his feet. The two saluted and bowed to each other. Please sit, said General Anami. As Jinpachi sat down, a lieutenant poured the two of them, Mugi Kogashi. A man of culture, Jinpachi thought. The two of them sipped their scorched barley tea and took in a moment of silence that betrayed the urgency of their discussion. Jinpachi took the time to enjoy the subtlety of how the alcohol complemented the barley so perfectly. For Jinpachi, time was on his side. Jinpachi, as you know, we are preparing for a stand against the Americans at Kyushu, Anami said curtly. Allow me to speak openly, General. Victory is surely out of reach. As much as I can benefit from the prolongation of this war, shouldn't we just admit defeat to the Americans? Anami stared intensely into Jinpachi's eyes. There are some things more important than victory or defeat. If we give in now, we will surely sacrifice the life of our emperor and most certainly risk American occupation of Japan. This cannot and will not happen. Jinpachi nodded. Anami continued. We are planning an all-out defense of Kyushu. If we succeed, we may be able to surrender while ensuring the Americans agree to our demands. The other members of our council believe that our plans for kamikazes and suicide boats will be enough to persuade the enemy. But I'm not so sure. I've supplied all of the weapons I can, Jinpachi replied. It will take at least six months before our stock is replenished. Sadly, we do not have six months. Nagasaki only confirmed that we need to act quickly. This fight needs to end as soon as possible, and we need to make sure it happens with terms we are willing to accept. I may be able to locate another shipment. There's a connection with a merchant in China. He may be able to help us set up the deal. No, we cannot open ourselves to taking weapons from China. I'm aware of a special branch of your conglomerate that makes more experimental weaponry. Jinpachi, taken aback, pondered Anami's accusation. It is true that I have research and development branches, but those are just prototypes. They've never been battle-tested. A brief wave of emotion swept through Anami's eyes. We're beyond that now. Nagasaki changed everything. We need to be willing to go down into the pits of hell. Our enemy is waiting for us there. Just then, Anami's lieutenant interrupted. Excuse me, sir. Your 11 o'clock meeting is about to begin. Should I inform them you need more time? Anami looked at Jinpachi inquisitively. Jinpachi didn't hesitate to respond. General, 
we will send you all the prototypes we have. The shipment will be ready within days. Our team will be there to train your men on how to operate the weapons. Anami grinned slightly and turned away. Then, a brilliant flash of white erupted in the distance and within moments seared through Jinpachi's eyes. Before the world came back into view, a gust of hot wind threw Jinpachi, Anami, and the surrounding men to the ground. Ringing. Such intense ringing. Jinpachi's head felt like it was dunked into water and held there. The colors slowly started to come back and objects regained form. Jinpachi dug his hands into the grass and perched up his torso. He looked into the horizon. The once blue sky had turned into an inky shade of purple and gray. A purple and gray cloud over Hiroshima. At that moment of realization, Yasuko appeared right in front of Jinpachi. He reached out to touch her, and her figure vanished into the warm air. Yasuko, where did you go? Part 4 Tea Between Old Friends, Mount Orake, 1948. It was a crisp autumn day at the Mishima estate. The ocean was visible all the way from the top of Mount Orake. Jinpachi and Wang Jinrei made their way past Honmaru Temple and towards a small pavilion. The tea had been boiled and the pot placed on the table. They sat down as Jinpachi poured the two of them some tea. Neither of them spoke for several minutes. Jinpachi had too much on his mind. Jinrei decided to probe a little. Jinpachi, we've been friends all these years. This seems to be the first time you're unable to speak. Jinpachi answered, Every time I close my eyes, that flash of white light appears. Even when it's pitch black, my sleep is still affected by that light. He who wishes to fight must first count the cost, Jinrei replied. Always the philosopher, it was no surprise to Jinpachi that his longtime Chinese friend would quote Sun Tzu. Jinrei continued, You cannot escape the role you played in this fight. Jinpachi responded, I used to think solely about money. When my father gambled his and my life away, I always assumed the loss of money was our problem. So the solution must be the accumulation of it. Jinpachi reached for the tea and poured more into Jinrei's and his cup. How do you deal with what we've done? Jinpachi asked Jinrei. Do you know what I see when I fall asleep, Jinpachi? I see black. I see nothing. I counted the cost of what I am doing. A person moves up while water runs down. I seek to improve myself no matter the endeavor. Jinpachi was slightly puzzled by this response. You know what I see after the flash of white light? I see Yasuko walking away from me. I see myself keeping quiet. I should have run after her. Jinrei thought for a moment then spoke up. You should not cry for Yasuko. She died in the midst of living her dream. She is not tormented by anything in this world. It is you who is tormented. I always thought Yasuko was special. Special but naive. Maybe she had it right all along. I don't want to be part of needless conflict anymore. It's time that Zaibatsu did something positive for society. Jinpachi stood up from the table. Brother, I hope peace returns to your sleep. Jinrei called out as Jinpachi walked away. Jinpachi stopped to turn to Jinrei. I think I finally found Yasuko.
That's it for our episode on the story of Jinpachi Mishima. If you made it this far, thank you. It's an honor to have you as a listener. And make sure to check out the rest of the Jinpachi series, as well as future breakdowns of other Tekken characters. From the Lorefy League, get ready for the next battle. <laughs>